Just before I pray for us, I just wanted to say thank you to Han. We've got some special guests, guests from the deaf community with us this morning. We're so happy you're here. And Han, our very own, will be tending to them as I preach. So thank you, Han. I want you to tell them that you're very gifted and godly and loved. <laughs> and you're one of our favorite people. Yeah, good, okay. <laughs> hey, would you pray, pray with me as we plunge in? Gracious God and Father, we thank you. We've just read this text, and my, my request is that with this text open, with your Holy Spirit present, that you would communicate powerfully to our hearts that you will, it is your your will for us that we would live in, in joy. I pray that we would be stunned today by that and that you would functionally in practical ways be unlocking that gift to us as a community. That each of our hearts would, would resonate more deeply with that truth and that we would receive it and walk it out together. So would you accomplish that even in these moments together as a community? Come and lead us into that place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we've been on a journey of joy. Two weeks ago, we said that joy is possible for the Christian. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So as we learn to put the flesh to death and to walk by the Holy Spirit, that we will experience joy. It's ours in Jesus. I've got good news for you. It is available to you in Jesus today to experience joy. We said it's possible. And then last week we said, and it's perpetual. It persists even in the midst of suffering, that it is, it is a distinct possibility that the Christian can step into God-given, Jesus-purchased joy, even in the midst of suffering. And today, I want to explore the question, well, well what do we do day in and day out to access that? We've understood that it's available to us in the spirit. It's available even in the midst of suffering. But what can you do practically day in and day out to live in the riches that Jesus has purchased for you, namely this joy that is perpetual? And I just wanted to zoom out before we plunge into this short text this morning and just let it settle on our hearts that what you just heard read over you is that God's will for your life is that you rejoice all the time. God is willing something for you on your behalf, and what he is willing is joy. Uh, I, I hope that this is startling in a good way. So often when I'm encountering the question, what is God's will for my life? If I'm sitting in my office processing that with someone, usually it's attached to a job description or a, a job title Maybe, should I be with this person? Shouldn't I be with this person? What city am I supposed to live in? What am I supposed to do? What is God's will for my life? This text very boldly and very clearly says that God's will for your life is actually about something deeper and truer than any of those things. It's an issue of the heart. God's will for your life is that you would experience moment-to-moment -moment joy. 
That's what he's willing over you. And ultimately, it's what we're going to see is that when, when this is secured by the grace of God, what it means is that all those issues really are secondary. Who you're with, where you're living, what job you're doing, those are important things, but entirely secondary if your heart is daily finding its fullness and its situatedness and its pervasive sense of well-being and something that is unshakable in God. This is what he wills for you. It will be your strength and all that comes, the degree to which we access it. So it brings us back to this question. What does it look like for us to functionally access these gifts that are in, in Jesus belong to us? What we're going to see from this short and beautiful text at the conclusion of, of 1 Thessalonians is that God wills your joy moment to moment. As you pray without interruption and you give thanks incessantly. Uninterrupted prayer and incessant thanks are going to be the map and the key that, that lead us into the riches that Christ has for us. Let's see if we can make sense of this together. Starting back with the first verse that we read, it's a short one. Verse 16, rejoice always. As Paul is rounding the corner on the conclusion to this letter to the Thessalonians. He says something that would have been stunning, startling, unexpected for them to receive. In the original language, the, the word order is actually inverted. And the word order is often used for emphasis in the Greek. And so he's saying, at all times, at every moment, joy. He front loads the all the time. Every moment of your life. This is the call. Every moment, joy. This sort of command would have been startling in the same way that it's startling for anyone, but it would have been particularly so for Thessalonians if we understand the context of this church. That if you remember in the book of Acts, you know, there's a planting of all these churches as Paul goes out as a missionary. Sometimes it's hard to keep them separate, what he was doing in the different places. Let me just jog your memory he planted the church in Thessalonica and he was only there a matter of weeks. Depending on the commentator, they'll say maybe it seems like maybe between two and six weeks, somewhere in there. So Paul shows up, he's preaching the gospel. Some people start to respond and powerful people in Thessalonica do not like that. And so they run Paul out of town. They extort Jason, the one that was converted and is holding the church in his house, they're extorting money from them and they're running Paul out of town and the church is born as the sparks fly up. There is intense pressure around this community from the first moment that it exists. Paul is now writing a letter back to the church because he's gotten a report that they're still Christians. He's like, oh wow, you guys still exist. You're still there. Look, and he's stunned. He's writing this letter to them, rejoicing in what God has done for them. And it runs all the way through the letter that suffering and persecution is the context of their lives. Let me just prove it to you quickly as we look through this letter that we're just picking up right at the end of. But in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, in verse 2, he said this, but though we had already suffered and were shamefully treated at Philippi, the spot where Paul was just before coming to Thessalonica, he says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
He's reminding in chapter one, reminding again in chapter two, we experience some tough things together. He goes on to say in chapter two, verse 14, he says, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And you suffered just like the the church over here in Judea did. Chapter three and verse three and four, chapter three, verse three and four says this, no one was that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Do you see that this is a letter, it's a church that was born in the context of affliction, and this is a letter that is written with a theme of suffering and persecution and struggle. And Paul comes to the conclusion of the letter and he says, so here it is, at every moment, joy. He's not saying it into a vacuum. He's not saying it into a context of people that just feel like they're walking in pleasantness and ease. He's speaking specifically into the moment of suffering, affliction, and struggle. And he's saying, for you, the Christian in Jesus, at every moment, choosing joy is an option. If you feel embattled, disappointed, struggling, suffering, the word of this text right to your heart is that out of the riches of Christ, joy is available to be chosen. It's as if joy is a treasure chest that is yours. When you say yes to Jesus, it along with the other riches of Christ are entrusted to you. It's yours. But the question still remains, how do I find and open this treasure that is mine in Jesus? And it's as if in this text, what Paul is doing is he's providing a map and a key. He's he's drawing the people back. And interestingly, it's the same map and the same key he gives in other places. It's almost as if he's saying, this is the universal path by which you're gonna access the joy that is yours in Jesus. He does it in, in Philippians 4. Let me just read to you briefly from there before we discern this map and this key together. Philippians 4, verses four through six, he's dealing with the very same ideas. And I just want you to hear that the same themes emerge. He says here, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That sounds like at every moment joy. Yeah? Rejoice all the time. And then this is how he explains it. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer and thanksgiving are noted in Philippians as being connected to joy at all times. It's the very same path that he's sketching out in both places. It's a universal truth that Paul is unveiling for Christians and saying, how do you discern the map and the key that's going to get you to unlocking the treasures of the joy of Jesus and your moment to moment? The map and the key are the same. The map is uninterrupted prayer. Uninterrupted prayer. Look back at verse 17 with me from our text in 1 Thessalonians 5. The way he says it here is pray without ceasing. Once again, in the original language, the words are inverted. What, he, what he's saying is without 
intermission or interruption without any stop, without any breaks, pray. Now, this isn't the only time Paul says something like this, where he's just saying the activity all the time, it's constant, perpetual prayer. It's not the only time he says that. And I've got to be honest, every time I read a text like this in the scriptures, I always think, come on, I got other stuff to be doing. You know, like I cannot, this, this pray without saying, pray all the time. I think I am not a monk. I'm not living a monastic life. I cannot pray all day long. But one of the simple and profound truths that has been unlocked to me, even this last week, it was being commended to me again by by a dear friend. It's a friend who's been battling cancer for 23 years. And her doctors have have just told her that the battle is is coming to the end. It's it's over. So she she was calling to ask if um, if I would do her funeral. And so we were talking on the phone planning some for that, praying together. And she said to me, 23 years ago in 1999, when I was diagnosed the first time, I had a mentor and a friend say to me, this is either going to make you bitter or it's going to turn you into a blessing to other people. And he said, and what's going to determine that for you is going to be how you're interacting with God through it. And I here's my recommendation to you. This is, she was telling me the story of the mentor speaking to her. And he, she said that, he, he said to me, I want you to wake up in the mornings. And this is back in the days of the flip phone. She said, I want you to imagine flipping open your phone. And if, if you can get here in your mind, she said, imagine you don't have a minutes plan. You're not worried about going over on minutes, which I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, she said, he told me, dial in G-O-D. Call God in the morning, start a conversation with him, and then slide the phone into your pocket and walk out the rest of your day with it open. And she said at the time, you know, I was thinking I'm a a single mom, I'm working a job, I'm trying to take care of my kids, I'm dealing with this cancer diagnosis, like is this really what you have to offer me? And she said, but I decided I was going to try it. And she said, and for 23 years, it's what's carried me through. I wake up each morning and the conversation doesn't end. She said, it's like I, I would come into work and I'm, I'm dealing with high profile clients and struggles and I've got to pick up the kids and, and someone would say something to me and I felt like my emotional margins were about this thin and I'm going, I can't deal with this right now. And she said, right when I wanted to react out of all the stuff that was happening in me, I'd think, oh yeah, the, the conversation's still going. God, what do you think about that? Did you hear the way they were speaking to me? Do you see all that I'm enduring? And she said, the amazing thing is that he was always there He was always listening. And it was almost as if it's like in that moment where you get disoriented and you're trying to discern where is the joy of Jesus and the presence of all of this. This is like the unfolding of the map and getting reoriented. Remembering, okay, I'm not lost. He hasn't forgotten me. He hasn't left me. He's right here with me. I've got to be honest. This This is a very, Ashton and I were talking about it and we agreed that we want to invite you into where we are right now because thinking about meditating on preaching a message like this is very personal right now. I I just want you to hear that this sort of thing, we don't just kind of float through in our access of the joy of God, that it's a struggle. And some of you know our story that we've got three precious boys, two of them sitting down here right now. The four-year-old does not He's not quite up for listening to dad preach. Dad just talks too long. Um, 
We've got three little girls that were not carried to term, that we, we grieve their loss. Uh, and Ashley's pregnant, round seven uh, for us. And we learned about 10 days ago that she's pregnant with a little boy that's not well. And that's hard, it's been hard news to metabolize. Um, that the most likely outcomes are that he will not survive or that we'll care for him all of his days. And I don't say that to, I say, I say this. I say that one because we, we're hungry for your prayers. We need it. And I say it because there's moments that are disorienting. There's moments that are disorienting where you know things to be true, but when you wake in the night, it's hard to remember. There's things that disorient you in such a way that the running monologue that we all have, we have this running monologue of our thoughts throughout the day, and there's certain circumstantial realities that feel like they, they take the reins of that monologue. And all of a sudden, it's like, I can't quite get out of this. It feels like it's telling my story right now, like these thoughts are running me ragged. The open cell phone, never-ending conversation with God is the way that we unfurl the map. It's the way that we, we hit pause, and we don't just let our thoughts run us, but we direct our thoughts. What I've found is that in the moments where I'm most tempted to spiral over the last 10 days, as I'm <laughs> meditating on and laboring to preach about joy in the midst of suffering, I think God had a plan for my preaching calendar. If it was just for me, that's, that's what it needed to be, you know? And as I've been wrestling, it's in these moments where we attempt to, to recognize that the monologue doesn't just have to be a monologue. Someone else is present and he wants to be a part of the conversation. And what I've found is if I will just hit pause and go, God, are you here? Do you see this? Like, what do you think about this? And what's true in this circumstance? Because I'm having a hard time remembering the truths that I've rehearsed many times. Like, remind me of what's true. And in this space, we start to have conversation, and it's almost as if the map gets spread out, and we can get reoriented and go, okay, I felt like I was spinning in circles, but I'm, I'm reminded, okay, there's true north. Here's, here's what's mine in Jesus. You see, that's the map that keeps us connected. You don't have to stop the conversation. God is listening, and he wants to engage you when it feels like the thoughts are running you ragged. But that's not the key that unlocks all the riches. You see, we can pray and we can offer all of our prayer and supplication. And quite frankly, sometimes at the end of that, I still feel undone. But that's why Philippians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5 doesn't just say pray without ceasing. It also provides a really profound and powerful key that we read about in verse 18. It says this, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He doesn't just call us to pray as he's explaining how do we access the riches of joy. He calls us to pray and it's the same thing he said in Philippians 4, make your requests known with gratitude. 
And the interesting thing in the original language, this verse 18, it says in all circumstances in our text, the word circumstances is not present in Greek. It's something that has been supplied by the translators trying to make sense of what is an ambiguous and broad phrase. Because what he actually says is this, in all, give thanks. And translators have wrestled with that. Does it mean in all times, in all circumstances, in all experiences, in all places? And I think Paul's like, yeah, that. In all, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this is the reality. Joy and gratitude, they're best buds. They're like very trusted friends that never want to be found without the other. They love to hang out together. Joy and gratitude, where you find one, you find the other. They, they are alongside of one another. And this is a discipline. It's a discipline that is required. And, and as you step into this discipline, it changes the air in the room. There's some ways we've tried it as a family over the years. I'll encourage you to, to make it really practical. Practicing the discipline of gratitude changes the air you're breathing. It injects it with hope. It injects it with the presence of the Lord. Um, one very simple way that you can begin to engage in it is just start a note on your phone. Start a note called gratitude and stop three, four, five times a day and jot down something that sticks out to you. At lunchtime, pause and look back over the morning and go, what's something that I missed that I can say thank you to God for? And just jot it down. It starts to awaken your heart to missed blessings that are all around you. He's being tender to you in ways that sometimes you don't even note. One way we've tried it as a family, uh, we did this, I guess, a couple of summers ago. We were, in essence, writing a gratitude book together that was illustrated. And so we'd take moments along the way where we'd just pull out some blank sheets of paper and say, let's draw something from today that we're grateful for. And the kids would color it and we'd write across the top, we're grateful for this experience, this thing. And then by the end, if you do that several days, you do it over the summer for a family, you've got your book of gratitude, all the things that you don't want to forget of like, oh yeah, that was a really special day. And that was really fun. Sometimes when we drive the kids to school, a real regular occurrence is that we do gratitude in the rounds. And you kind of go around and it's my turn, then your turn, then your turn, then it's back to me. And you got to be thinking. It's kind of like a, all right, it's your turn. What's next? And what I found is that I end up saying thank you for things I didn't even think to say thank you for before. It's like, I do love peanut butter. Thank you, God, for peanut butter. You know, because it's back to you. You got to say something. And I start realizing there's so many things I've never thought to stop and say, oh, thank you for this good gift. We walk, it tells us in the scriptures, and untouched and new mercies every day. Like you walk out into the world and it's like fields of mercy. But I traipse through it and I focus on the things that aren't going well and I find my heart sinking down into grumbling and complaining and God's going, look, 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 lift your eyes. Gratitude all over, don't miss it. Beauty and sweetness, make sure that you engage in the discipline because joy is just on the other side of gratitude. They're hanging out together. They're waiting for you to come and access what God has for you. Joy and gratitude are best friends. We need to engage in the discipline of gratitude, but it's not just gratitude for peanut butter and sunny days and catching the green lights. He said, in all. In all give thanks. This is a discipline that sometimes on the front end feels like death. 
but we serve a God that brings life out of death. What he's inviting us to do is to pray with gratitude right in the midst of the pain. This is Christian praying. This is prayer that can only be offered by faith in Jesus. It reminds me of that great book, The Hiding Place. Have you guys read this one? By Corey Tim Boom. I highly recommend it if you haven't read it. Corey Tim Boom telling the story of the Second World War. She and her family were protecting and hiding Jews in their home. Ended up getting caught and put into a concentration camp. She and her sister, Betsy. Um, boys, plug your ears. We're about to read this one together at night. And I'm about to give you, I'm about to spoil some good stuff in the book. Um, There's this beautiful moment where uh, they really are plugging their ears. That's good. Thank you for obeying. You guys are doing great. Um, So Betsy, no, I'm just, there's this moment where they're in concentration camp. Betsy, Corey Timboom's sister, is able to smuggle in a Bible. And at night, after long days of being mistreated in the concentration camp, they would go back to their room and Betsy would secretly up on the top of the bunk beds, pull out the Bible and lead a Bible study for all of these women that were in the concentration camp. Many of these Jewish women hearing about the Messiah coming to saving faith in Jesus, they'd have these beautiful moments together studying the scriptures. And at the end, Betsy would always pray at the end of Bible study and she would pray over them. And the last thing she'd always say is, and dear God, thank you for the fleas. Because their barracks, their bunk room, was infested with fleas. They would lay awake at night and slap at all the fleas that were biting them. And her sister, Corey Timboon, who's telling the story, is like, oh, it would make me so angry that Betsy was thanking God for the fleas. Because what she was saying is, like, can't you just say, God, kill all the fleas right now? Make them go away. Like, why would you say thank you for the fleas? Couldn't God just have a little bit of mercy? Haven't we suffered enough? Why the fleas. And as Corey tells the story, years later, her sister died in the concentration camp. She survived and she ended up telling the story and becoming internationally known as she traveled and talked about her experiences. And she was actually invited to come and to preach the gospel in Germany. And Corey Tim Boom went to share her story and to share the gospel in Germany. And a man came up at the end, an old German man, and he wept before her. And he said, I was a guard in the camp where you were held. I've since come to know and love Jesus. And he asked for her forgiveness. Corey said it was one of the hardest things she did to reach out and pray for him and to forgive him. And then after praying, he looked at her and he said, and I need to tell you one more thing. He said, me and the other guards, we systematically raided every bunkhouse in the concentration camp. But we never touched yours. We never came in and gathered all of the illegal material because we didn't want to mess with the fleas. He said, so you didn't know. This was decades later that she's hearing the story. She said, for 30 years, I'd been angry at Betsy. (laughs) And she said, little did I know that the reason that we got to have those scriptures open night after night, and that all of those women got to hear the good news of the gospel was because of the fleas. You see, this sort of praying does not make sense in the flesh. Everyone prays in a foxhole. When everything comes undone, everybody can pray, God save me, God fix it, God make it all better. But the the unusual sort of Christian praying is the sort of praying that in the midst of darkness and brokenness says, ah, I know a God that wins victories in moments like this. 
I know the God of the cross who in the most ugly and broken and backwards and unjust moments in history, if, if you want to run to the ugliest, most upside down, most backwards moment in all of history, it's the moment at which innocence itself was beaten and stripped and mocked. Jesus deserves to be on a throne surrounded by face-down worship from every creature. That's his rightful place. But in those moments, you know what he experienced? He experienced people mocking him and spitting on him. It's upside down, it's backwards, it's broken. And it's in that moment that he said, this is how I work victory. Resurrection emerges from crucifixion. I'm the God of the sort of hope and joy that this world can't make sense of. And so what he invites us to as his children is to stand in the midst of the darkness and say, I don't understand it. Like, I can't explain it. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But God, you're worthy of my trust. Like, you've gone to death and back. You've promised that you will work everything together for good for those that love you. And so even from the darkness and from the confusion, as I lift my request to you, I dare to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing that I can't see. And the unexpected reality that continues to meet me in the dark moments as it's almost like you can faintly hear the, the key turning over. It's like in these spaces where we find ourselves on the map and we offer our requests even with gratitude. It's as if the riches and the joy of heaven are new. Joy is possible in every moment because of what Jesus has done and the way that you and I can access it, uninterrupted prayer, unceasing gratitude. Ah, it's God's will for your life. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I, uh, yeah, we bless you on Father's Day. You're a spectacular father. And even when you entrust things to us that we don't want and we wouldn't pick, what we know is it's not a stone and it's not a scorpion. You give good gifts to your children. I pray that you'd forgive me for the times and the ways that my faith wavers. You see it and you know it. I can preach it with passion, but there are certainly moments where it feels like it slips through my fingers. And I feel that on behalf of my brothers and sisters in the room today. We need your mercy. We need your tender care. And I pray that by faith, we would be the sorts of men and women that rejoice always. And that pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, experiencing your very will for us. We thank you that this is available in Christ Jesus. He is our hope and our hero. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.